another episode of the Granite List Live. Navigating a sea of benefit solution is daunting at best, and new vendors emerge every week. Host Lee Dill and Sally Pace bring brokers and employers a solid resource when it comes to uncovering what's new, what's needed, and what is happening now to allow for the best plan design possible. By staying on top of trends, brokers and employers can in turn stay on top of spending while improving employee engagement and outcomes. Today we're continuing our conversation with Chris Schaffner, CEO of Your Community Health Plan, Adam Russo, CEO of FIA Group, and Rob Gelb, CEO of Valens, discussing the importance of engaging early and often with your data and how to use predictive analytics to change employee behavior to drive low-cost quality choices in healthcare decision-making. It's interesting. We come from maybe a different lens or a different angle, or I do personally, and then our company kind of does as well. Culture is a conversation we have a lot with customers, with business partners, because if you're not aligned culturally, you're not gonna, it's not going to work, no matter if you have the best products. Adam could be the best at what he does, and we could be the best at what we do. But if culturally we don't align with the way we make decisions, the way we treat people, how we look at things, it's going to ultimately be an epic fail because something's going to break and then it, all hell's going to break loose, pardon my English. And I feel like when I listen to Adam, part of the challenge we face is the benefit consultant broker community needs to take a step back and really do what they're hired to do, which is understand culturally how an employer should be looking at healthcare for their members, healthcare for their employees, how they need to treat their employees. How do they treat their employees outside of healthcare is going to be a very clear sign of how they're going to look at healthcare. Are they going to try and cut benefits or are they going to try and make sure that they get what they need to be a healthy population that's delivering uh, presenteeism to their day every day as an employer. So I don't know how you solve for that other than one employer opportunity at a time, like Adam has done over the past 20 years and the most recent five, as he points out. But eventually you get all the participants and all the stakeholders in an individual employer's plan to align culturally about why they'd have to have a why as to why they're putting healthcare and making it available for the employees, how it's going to work and how people are going to access it and get educated. It's what led us to create our concierge medical, our navigation product, is to start working with the members directly and teaching them what the plan is going to pay for, what their plan will and won't allow, what a quality provider looks, looks like and where and how you access them. So I'll get off my soapbox, but culture is a key part of what we struggle with to get this universally changed, I think. You know, a broker or a consultant, they won't get fired if they work with the traditional carriers, right? It's like I said, there, that's yeah, part we, of, we that's talked part about of this on, on our webcast yeah. on, on RBP Next Generation, right? And one of the things is right as we were doing that, the WellNet uh, uh, survey had come out. I don't know if you had seen that one, but there were two questions in there. I think there were question four and question 30 something. One question was, do the BUCAs solve for the needs of your employer, uh, uh, self-insured employers consistently? And 85% said, no, not at all. 30 questions later, how much business do you place? 85% of them place it with BUCAs. So those two are kind of diametrically opposed. It's illogical to say they don't solve for, but I'm still going to sell them. It doesn't make any sense because there's a disconnect. They do what's easy. And that's and this is hard stuff. How do you change that conversation as a broker going into an existing client and admitting that your current plan isn't working. It's not solving for our problems. We all know this, but 
But how do you start that conversation to, to sway the CFO in the HR department? So here's the problem, COVID. Last year, if you did nothing to your plan, wow, <laughs> this self-funding thing works because people weren't getting treated. Claim volume down 30 to 40%. People were offsetting their surgeries, right? People were pushing all that off. So, you know, when they walk in to that meeting this year, they say, huh, wow, you guys did a great job. No, they didn't. It's called COVID. It's called no travel. It's called people afraid to go to the hospital. People not making doctor's appointments. What people don't realize, though, is that when you went to your stop loss carrier for a quote for 21, for 2021, what happened? Did they give you a premium discount? No. Premiums went up by an average of 10%. How? Whiplash. Because they're petrified. All those people that didn't get those screenings for cancer, all those people now that started getting on medication for depression, all those people now that started drinking more, taking more prescription pills, think about it. They're petrified of those catastrophic claims that are going to come. People now are starting to get those surgeries. So what they're fearful of is the fourth quarter of this year and 22, those claims, volumes, and costs going straight up, and the behavior of the actual employees has changed. People aren't looking at their drug spend. People are not looking at their out-of-network spend. People aren't looking at mental health claims. Mental health claims right now, boom, skyrocketing. And guess what? Those treatment facilities are not in network. Those treatment facilities are in Florida, in Arizona, all out of network. Yet the plan language hasn't changed. The risk factors have, people aren't looking at them, and they're just going forward as if nothing happened. You said it, 22, so we've been talking about this, and Chris knows this. I said at the end of 2020, when we were talking about a bunch of stuff, I said 21 is going to be kind of a tough year to think through because you just don't know when we're going to break open again and people will start traveling and they will start seeing doctors. But 22 for certain is what I've been terming the whiplash effect of COVID. And that whiplash, we're starting to see the stick kind of being pulled back rapidly and, and moved forward. And that whiplash effect is exactly what Adam is saying. And if you're not paying attention to your plan design and you're not paying attention to the trends in your data and you're not paying attention to what's going on with transparency laws and no surprises laws and how all these providers are going to figure out a way, because just like the member and the plan, they will. the healthcare providers are going like this. Now is my moment to make up for all that lost earning I didn't get from all the treatment and all the serious services I didn't provide. And they're going to find a way to get paid. And so get ready. It's coming. And you got to start preparing. You should have been doing it already. You should easily be thinking about your 1-1 now. But they're not. Okay, so that ties into something. I, and first of all, let me say, we have 10 college interns there from Samford, Columbia, Notre Dame, all over. They are floored. As they are learning about all of this, they are floored. But the one thing they keep saying is, we don't understand this brand loyalty. We don't, y'all keep, we've trained them about what the bukas are. And they're like, we don't, we don't get it. We don't understand why your generation cares that much because they're the Amazon shoppers. They're the ones who don't need, you know, they're willing to buy whatever is the highest quality, best price, highest ratings without the name. Shameless marketing, shameless that's marketing, right. hey, sorry. That's what you're here for. You know, I love about the, the two questions you um, elaborated on from the recent survey, but I want to go back to data because I think what a lot of, you know, and, and Lee, you touched on it, and Chris, you've definitely touched on it too. What a lot of people think about when they hear data is claims data, 
retrospective claims data, what are the three of you looking at differently? What, and what would you encourage brokers and employers to also be looking at when, it, when we use this broad term of data? Drill down for us. Well, from my perspective as fiduciary to the plan, right, is you need the paid claims data because you got to be able to audit bills and you got to be able to make sure that you're not paying for stuff that you shouldn't be paying for, number one. Number two is then with all this new data that's coming out, right, you've got all the Medicare data, you've got paid claims databases, you've got workers' comp paid claims databases, all about the same providers, right? And so how then can you take that? Because giving someone, participant, just a network provider list and say have at it, that's not going to the data points that you can find, right? And my eyes were really opened by uh, Jeff Gasser at Deer Walk way back when, when they were D2 Hawkeye. And he said, Chris, look at all this data. Look, would you send your uh, daughter or your cousin or your brother to one of these doctors that are at a hospital that's less than five miles from you? And if you look at the Medicare data and if you look at the quality rankings and things, you go, no, I'm not sending them there at all. Yet that's the facility where everybody goes, right? It's that, again, brand loyalty. And why is it? Well, that hospital has got all the business owners in the local community are on their board. They're all doing fundraisers. They're all a part of that. So it's hard to bring that level of transparency and data about quality with a surgeon that might be in your rotary club or in your church, right? And you're like, mm, and you don't, obviously you don't put it out there, but those are the data points that are forward looking and that's exactly where Rob is, right? He's already to that point, he's got more data. I think you've got more data than anyone else that I know of that is in your We think so. Yeah, our direct, certainly in our direct competition. Adam, I know you wanted to say something. The only way any of this matters is by incentivizing the employees to care because you can change their behavior. You talked about loyalty, brand loyalty. Yes. What we did is if you look at our plan document on page three, right after the table of contents, it literally says, here's how you can make money by saving money for the plan. And what do we do? We give them a percentage of the actual savings by changing what they're doing. So here's a good example, our diapers and wipes program. Okay, The Boston Globe did a front page story in the Metro section on our amazing, innovative diapers and wipes program. Think about this. This is not innovative. All we did is we looked at the data and then through predictive analytics, what's going to happen based on the data that you have currently that is looking back, right? And what we found, not just look at the claims data, but just looking at our population. A bunch of people were getting married. Our average age was 27 in the office. So what do we see? Huh? People are gonna start having families. So what we said was, how much are we spending for delivering a baby in networks? We had Blue Cross Blue Shield at all the in-network hospitals within our network. Remember, the copay at the time for our employees for an inpatient stay was like $250. So no matter what hospital they went to have that baby, 250 is what their cost is. And what we found, put quality aside for a second, the cost range went from 8,000 to deliver that same baby to 60,000. Same baby. So what do we do? We identified the lowest cost hospitals at the highest quality metrics and said, you can go to any hospital you want. It's in the network. However, 
if you choose one of these five, we'll pay for, my company will pay for, your diapers and wipes for your child for two years. 76 children later, 75 of the 76 have gone to one of those facilities to deliver that baby. We've saved over $750,000 by just doing that. And that was a front page story. It shouldn't be. This should be basic stuff that everybody does. If you look at your data, predictive analytics, predictive behavior, then look at the cost, look at the quality, you can change the way fundamentally people behave when it comes to healthcare shopping. I'm gonna jump on that for 30 seconds and kind of tag back to where Chris was going. So in the world of our promise of engage early and often, it's tied to this concept that five to 15% of claims are gonna drive 70% of any one year's, a one year plan cost. And so how do you early identify and get in front of? So engage early and often to identify the five to 15. We operate under what we call a data-driven claim cost arc, which starts with what we call pre-claim loss. In that pre-claim loss world, we're gathering historic paid claim data from the, the groups that we're talking to, the brokers, et cetera, and we're analyzing it for three key things. We're looking at disruption to understand what we can do to change and what we're going to have to do to change behavior to drive into higher quality, lower cost medical. We're going to assess what the overall impact of medical spend is going to be based on what we would do in that, whether it's contracted and or negotiated discount. And then depending on the quality of the data, which is questionable most days, but on the quality of that data, we can do what's called a lifestyle analysis. And that's where our predictive analytics and algorithms come into play. We have the five or six key chronic condition data sets and algorithms that drive that five to 15. And we pre-identify in that population those members that we believe are either in or headed towards a high cost event or a high cost uh, care episode. And we start to make recommendations and plans on how you can mitigate and reduce that to get them back under control. So we use data in that fashion and we use it throughout. And the reason we operate a proprietary ecosystem of all these services integrated together is time matters to making decisions. Speed matters. And data is critically important in decision making. If you're working with 17 different vendors and waiting for people to populate your warehouse and, and cleanse it, it could be 14 to 30 days. If the time to make a decision and impact uh, prospectively is, is lost, we're real-time capturing the data and real-time analyzing it through the algorithms every single day, alert action accountability design. So those are all the pieces of data that change the way you look. And I think that's one of the things that drew Chris, in addition to having this dearth of data, paid claim date, charge data, cost data, transparency data, quality data, and all of everything in between, we use it every day in a way that drives better decision-making and education for the plan and for the member and gives the broker an opportunity to figure out how do you create, to Adam's point, a plan design that routes to your incentivize them to do the right thing for them and the plan. I've got 700 community pharmacy activists here just in the state of North Carolina and 16,000 across the country. Right. And they are now being excluded from the CVS uh, network. They're being excluded from Express Scripts network. And what they would tell you is they're doing it that because I'm not filling them because I'm doing it at a loss. Right. So when I went to them and said, well, what can we do? They said, well, it starts with generics. Just pay me for the generic med. Just reimburse me my cost and then pay me to be engaged clinically with these patients. Right. And so you say, okay, well, how do we define cost? So when we started your community health plan, we interviewed four PBMs that were referred to me 
by the North Carolina Association of Pharmacists. Three of those PBMs walked in the door and said, well, we use a average wholesale price minus a discount, but we're fully transparent and you get all the rebates. And I was like, thanks for coming. We will, um, 10 minute conversations. And they're looking at me like, that's it. I'm like, average wholesale cost, where's that information coming from, right? You can't peg it. It's fiction, right? Just like discounts on your Blue Cross and Blue Shield or Cigna rates. It's fiction. You can't do that. So they said, well, there's this thing called NADAC, N-A-D-A-C. It's the National Average Drug Acquisition Cost. It's a survey-based methodology. It's used in about 38 states for Medicaid. It's out there. It's real data. And those pharmacies agreed. Hey, well, if you just pay us that. So the raw NADAC cost for these 350 drugs that are on our preventive formulary, the most expensive one on a 30-day fill is $2.25. And so we said, well, gosh, you know, if it's this cheap, we need to do some repricing. So we went out to employers all over the country and we said, if you've got access, right, if you can get access to your pharmacy claims data, we can reprice it for you. You know how long it took us to find enough employers that even had access to their pharmacy claims data? It was unbelievable how difficult that was. But being persistent, if you look at that, so if par is a dollar, right? If the industry right now, average wholesale price, minus your discounts, whatever, if that's a dollar, NADAC on ingredient cost is only 50 cents. Where's the other 50 cents going, right? It, it's hidden. You'll never be able to find it. But that was an eye-opening for me to think generics can be gamed 50% in price difference, 17% after we add on. So we pay an $8 dispensing fee. Right? And people go, well, why would you pay that? Most industry only pays 85 cents or $1.25. Well, it's because we want our community pharmacies to act differently. So if the industry has got you in this box that you don't like to be in, but you want to be in a, a much nicer box where people value your, one, people trust their pharmacist more than they trust anybody else in the healthcare continuum, and they are vastly more likely to visit their community pharmacy or their pharmacy more so than they are their doctor. So if you want to talk about grassroots, ground level disease management where it matters, the pharmacist has got to be involved. And that's really, you know, our aha moment when it came to pharmacy was the one guy that walked into that meeting and said the word NADAC. And I was like, you got me. Tell me what that is. And, and we're in there. Right. And then I went to someone that I really respect in the industry. Gloria Satchdev runs the Indiana Employers Forum. She herself is a pharmacist. Two years ago, I walked up to her in one of her meetings and said, hey, Gloria, how you doing? Troy Trickstad says, hey, oh, great. You know, Troy, I said, let me ask you, do you know what NADAC as cost for pharmacy is? She didn't know. And that was the second point. I was like, OK, so one of the. A pharmacist herself, leading one of the biggest employers forums in the country, right, had no idea about this type of methodology and how it can apply in a PBM world.
And so I think that's what really solidified our intent on using community pharmacy versus a t traditional PBM for this your community health plan, because it it's smart and I don't have any bad habits to break. <laughs> you know, you all have talked about just using big, good business sense. I mean, that's what it boils down to is treating it like you do every other area of your and I think, Rob, you said it best. I mean, I, I feel like the title of this podcast is Transparency Has to Be Defined. You know, it, it, it's in all points of every part of employee benefits. So um, I hate to stop it, but we are at the top of the hour. Um, if y'all want to go around and just tell us how we can get in contact with you um, for further questions or exploration. Um, Adam, if we could, if you want to start um, and, and your favorite book. It's um, A. Russo. Oh, my favorite book. Yeah, Rob has all these business books. I saw that, Rob. When you write it, then it'll be my next favorite. But until you write it, the two I selected. I actually, I'm actually writing. I'm, I'm writing it, Rob. I'll I, let you have it. I want it. It's um, A. Russo at phiagroup.com. And uh, my direct phone number by cell is the best, 617-828-4325. And I got my favorite book. I'm a big Cleveland Indians fan. Huge. There's a book called The Curse of Rocky Halavito. And uh, it looks at the 30-year slump of the Indians and how there was a curse basically on the Indians by a guy named Terry Pluto. It's a great book about just Cleveland sports history and how we always lose, basically. So that's my favorite book. I love it. It's uh, it, I got brainwashed as a kid to love the Indians. I brainwashed my entire family as well. Uh, but it's a great read, something fun to read over the summer, and uh, that's it. Okay, great. Rob, and we'll, sure. and we'll wrap it up with Chris. Yeah, thank, thank you. So it's uh, rgelb, R-G-E-L-B, at Valens Health, all one word, with a Z for Valens, dot com. 215-692-0973 uh, is the uh, cell phone. That's the best way to get a hold of me of any time, text or, or voice. Um, and I had listed, too, uh, What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall. Goldsmith, and then Philip Lincioni does a series of fables, uh, business fables. Uh, I love all of them, uh, but the first one I read was The Five Temptations of CEO, long before I ever became a CEO. And, and really both books kind of talk about the same thing, the importance of innovation, listening, collaboration, and really just being humble and, and, and understanding that, you know, just because you have the big title, you're not necessarily the one that has all the answers, and you really need to listen to the people that do the work and, and take uh, a, a learning from them. So. Uh, I'm all about self-improvement, self-help. My wife is, is key to making sure that I improve every day. And uh, after 31 years, she's put up with me. She's kind of shaped me into what she thinks I should be. So uh, both of those books were very, very helpful to me in my career. Chris at yourcommunityhealthplan.com, all spelled out, 919-370-6217. Uh, and my book, is a business book, but it's an older one. And it really did change the way I looked at trying to execute what we're doing today. And that's the innovator's dilemma. So if you look at innovating in a market, right, if I'm a big PBM going up against, or I'm a infant PBM going up against CVS or Express Scripts or anything, that's going to be a tough nut to crack, right? But if you go to that low, low margin business for those, in, those big carriers, it's the small, fully insured groups, the 15 life group, the 25 life group, right? And the brokers that you're dealing with in that level of the market aren't nearly sophisticated enough to be able to handle self-funding or 
this type of data talk that we're talking about right now. And so that's really why I focused on these small businesses is they don't have a board of directors that they've got to go to. They don't have typically they don't have a CFO. They might have a bookkeeper. They're not going to have an HR staff. They are the ones making the decision. And it's those business people that have to hear the common sense stories that we're telling them, myself, Rob, Adam, all in the same perspective that they can make the decision to change a lot faster than a thousand life group or a 400 life, um, you know, city or county government. Any of those businesses are going to struggle with trying to do something new and different and innovative for all the reasons we've talked about. The broker is going to tell them it's a bad idea. The HR person is going to say it's too much work. The CFO is going to say, well, we got to spend the money anyway. You know, all those things. But this small business owner, when you tell them, hey, look, this is $250,000. And if you do this the right way, you might only spend $130,000 and your employees are going to get more or less 100% coverage. They can make that decision, right? Thank you all so much for your time today. Thanks to you. This is great. Chris, thanks for the invite. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, thank you both. I appreciate it immensely. If you missed the first half of this discussion, please check back to Transparency Has to Be Defined, Part 1, with Chris, Rob, and Adam. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Granite List Live. Access our entire library by visiting your favorite podcast venue or subscribe on our site, thegranitelist.live. Thank you.